Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast that is trying to seize the means of our brain's production. Today we have Laura, Ellie, Kellen, and Ozzy. Yes, thank you so much for this Marxist joke about your mental health. Wait, I thought you wrote the joke. I did. Oh, but then you said thank you. Yeah. Thank you to the world for hearing Are you us. thanking yourself? Uh, <laughs> you said thank you for the Marxist joke, and I'm like, wait. Okay, oh, I, was I guess confused. you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. Yes. Thank you yes, that's, so that's much. Correct. Yes. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you for the Marxist joke. <laughs> thank you. Oh, good Lord. Um. Anyways, today we're talking about how to make your brain happy. Um, There are four primary chemicals that can drive the positive emotions you feel throughout the day. They are dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. Sometimes this is referred to as dose. And there are ways to activate each of those chemicals in your brain. Basically, I was thinking about how everyone is going through this deep collective trauma of living in a pandemic in a country that doesn't care if you live or die, coupled with the active state of climate catastrophe and, you know, massive wage stagnation of masses while billionaires think about space. Not this to- is uplifting already. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Not to mention any of the actual personal things you're experiencing on a day-to-day. Like for me, losing several family members in the past few years is just a heightened pattern of deep grief that amplifies the collective grief grief that we all experience. Anyways, I was thinking about how we live in this extremely challenging time, and at the same time, it's imperative that we continue surviving and carrying out the gay agenda. Um... So I wanted us to do some research on how to activate those happy chemicals in our brain so we can all be gay and do crime together. So I'm pretty sure that all of us here at Season of the Bitch have a myriad of mental health diagnoses, but it's safe to say that there's a a baseline of depression and anxiety. Um, And there was a study that found out that people with clinical depression have increased levels of monoamine oxidase A, which is an enzyme that breaks down neurotransmitters. So basically, those of us with depression, which is a massive swath of the population, have lower levels of these neurotransmitters to begin with. So it's even more important for us to try some of these hacks. Also, of course, various medicines help with these things too. For example, I am on an SSRI for my depression, which stands for Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitors. And as the name suggests, this medicine increases the amount of serotonin in the brain so that medicine is only addressing one out of the four of these happy chemicals, which will definitely which definitely is beneficial to me, but I also benefit from trying to tap into these other chemicals as well. Yeah. And before we get started, I did just want to make one little disclaimer, which is that none of us here have a medical degree. None of us are neuroscientists. None of us are anything like that. So the way that we explain some of this stuff might be a little bit basic. Like maybe we'll get something like slightly wrong. Just like, don't be mad at us trying to be out here having a little lighthearted chat about brain chemistry and some of the things that science tells us can affect it. And that's all we're trying to do today. So just be chill, everybody. Thank you. 
be chill. Just be chill. Don't add us. We don't care. <laughs> we don't have time for that. Um, we're too busy being we're like, great depressed. Rule of thumb, exactly. Always. Be chill. Don't add us. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's like a cute app, you know. Cute but not creepy. Cute, not creepy. Important <laughs> distinction. Okay. We're going to kick it off with dopamine. Ooh, ooh. Let's get some noise in the house for dopamine. Okay. <laughs> dopamine is the neurotransmitter produced by the hypothalamus, which is a small region of the brain that helps you feel pleasure. It's an important part of your reward system, meaning the brain releases dopamine when you do things that feel good or pleasurable or when you complete a task. It's why technology and social media are so addicting, because when someone likes your post, your brain releases dopamine. It's often called the chemical of reward. Dopamine also helps with movement and motivation. When you score a goal, hit a target, or accomplish a task, you receive a pleasurable hit of dopamine in your brain that tells you you've done a good job. But something I thought was really interesting is that you can also get a natural dose of dopamine when you perform acts of kindness towards others. And some research has even found that it takes only thoughts of loving kindness to bring on the dopamine high, which is pretty wild. Yeah, and dopamine is also linked to brain functions like attention, focus, learning. So a lot of things that have to do with how we retain new information, basically. Um, one thing that I found interesting is that the symptoms of Parkinson's are also thought to be triggered in part by very low dopamine levels. Um, and in addition to like worse moods, depressive symptoms, low dopamine can also cause problems with sleep, kidney function, blood flow, lots of things that we might not think of as being related to like how good we feel. Um, and I think most of us probably like it's more common to struggle with not enough dopamine, but way too much can also be a problem. Um, so higher dopamine levels are linked to mania, schizophrenia and ADHD. Um, of course, like with depression, we don't um, know for sure if high dopamine causes these things or if maybe like experiencing manic episodes changes your brain chemistry in some way that leads to that, or if there's some other third factor that both of those things are correlated to. So just, you know, correlation is not causation, but those are just some things that tend to be associated with lower and higher levels. Um, That's not the official stance of Season of the Bitch, usually. <laughs> so, so sorry. Yeah, correlation <laughs> is causation, right. except in this very specific case. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, like most things, dopamine levels in the brain are all about balance. So that's that's the main takeaway, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so sex is going to be a big deal for all four of these, really. Um, it definitely is known to trigger dopamine as well as oxytocin, as well as oxytocin and endorphins. And it's just kind of an excuse to to have really good sex, you know? It's also funny because it's like if you're not having sex, you might be sad about that. But now it's like it's also ruining your brain. Um, so, you know, Damn, it can be clinically <laughs> sad. I know. <laughs> um, but I do I think of dopamine as kind of like the most sensual chemical of these four. It's also increased by things like 
cardio exercise, like moving your body, uh, listening to music you love also. Oh my God. I realized this the other day because I was sitting in my house. It was the one warm day. We have snow again here today. Um, and I had the windows open and birds were chirping outside and I looked up and they do that too. Just like hearing the sounds of spring That's will so trigger cool. it too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. That does make me feel happy. Um, and then I think also things like, you know, getting a good night's sleep um, and also eating delicious food or even just smelling food. There have been some studies that like the smell of cookies baking causes your dopamine levels to elevate. Um, in terms of food, um, one good way to raise your dopamine levels could be to try foods with a lot of tyrosine, which is a compound that the brain makes dopamine out of. Um, and some foods that have high tyrosine are poultry, dairy, and soy, as well as avocados and bananas. So if you're the type of person who thinks like an avocado banana smoothie, maybe with some dairy or soy milk sounds good, which I'm sorry to report that I extremely am, that might be a good thing to try because it's going to get a lot of tyrosine into your brain. Wow. Well, I want to give a quick shout out to friend of the pod, um, the sun. Woo! <laughs> yeah! We love the sun. <laughs> but Close getting... friend of other friend of the pod, the moon. Mm, yes. yes. So true. Um, love celestial it. bodies. Anyway, we continue. love the celestial bodies. <laughs> I really do. Um, yeah, getting sunlight is very important for happiness and like a lot of bodily functions. Turns out we need it. Um, it can boost dopamine as well as many of the others. If you live in a place that is not sunny year round, like me in Chicago, um, I take vitamin D supplements during the winter and I use one of those like sad lamps. Um, but also kind of regardless of where you live, it's very lifestyle dependent. Like the majority of people at this point, or a lot of people at this point are deficient in vitamin D because humans just aren't outside the majority of the time in the way that evolutionary we were. So unless you are outside pretty much like every day for extended periods of time, it's probably low. Um, if it's accessible for you, you can get a blood test with your doctor that just like gives your levels and that gives a good sense of, um, like how much you need to take. Yeah, I was going to say also, um, I recently got diagnosed with a vitamin D deficiency when I like went in for some unrelated blood work and they were just like, holy shit, your vitamin D levels are like dangerously low. Ozzy, I um, feel like you and I have very similar um, health, health, health problems. Health <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, same. <laughs> But it was really interesting because it actually took so long, like months for me to actually get my prescription vitamin D because it was like backordered because I think more people are being diagnosed with this right now, possibly because we're all spending or a lot of us are spending a lot more time inside and like not leaving the house as much as we were pre-pandemic. Um, so, you know, just a definite plug if you can get it checked out or, you know, also just you can get vitamin D supplements at the grocery store or whatever. Um, but yeah, it turns out never leaving your home during the pandemic is bad for you. Who knew? Who could have guessed? Who could have guessed? Also, I just want to add on to that. If you are going to buy supplements, which is what I do, make sure they're ones that have vitamin D and vitamin K. Our bodies actually can't process vitamin D without vitamin K. 
Um, there are a lot of like those health brands that sell just vitamin D that's a scam. It literally does nothing. So just like make sure the brand you're buying from and the ingredients in it are actually what you need, but otherwise shout out to those. (laughs) Yeah. I told my dad takes vitamin D and I told him this and he was like, not sure if you believed me. And then he looked it up and he was like, you're right. And I was like, well, I knew I was right, but thank you. But then he started like looking at all these brands and he was like, why do all these brands sell them without mm-hmm. vitamin K if you need the vitamin K? And he was like, so pissed. Um, so we're, we're advocates for vitamin K. Totally. <laughs> but anyway, another thing since dopamine is a reward response, as Laura said, Um, It can be triggered by pretty much any form of treating yourself, like eating your favorite foods, doing retail therapy. That's what I've been doing. Um, Hanging out with your favorite humans, feel that make you feel good. Just like doing things that make your brain feel rewarded. And that's why it's also associated with addiction. Yes, exactly. Um, I'm not this person, but I do have a lot of friends with Capricorn placements who love making lists. And when they can check something off their list, it releases dopamine. So they will put pretty basic things on there regularly so they can check things off pretty easily and on a regular basis. Okay, so I have to think about this because I put basic things on my to-do list so I can feel accomplished. Like my to-do list, for instance, will be like walk Pisces, eat a bagel, then like write this 20-page paper. But I don't think when I cross it off, I'm going to have to like interrogate this more. I don't think I get a dopamine release. I think it just helps me procrastinate because I'm like, look at all that I've done. Mm. I don't need to write the paper. I did everything else. (laughs) And everything else was like, walk your dog and then eat a bagel. (laughs) Which is also important, you know. Exactly. So then I'm like, I've done enough for today. I'm good. (laughs) Wow. That that makes complete sense. I just Um, need to separate myself from the Capricorn energy, honestly. (laughs) Um, uh, One thing I wanted to mention here also, I feel like it's important to note that a lot of drugs increase dopamine as well. Um, Like we mentioned, it has been linked to addiction because it is sort of like this chemical that comes up when you feel like you are getting a reward sort of. Um, And I mean, there are certain like risks with relying on drugs for increased dopamine because it can just basically raise the risk of like drug dependency or becoming more reliant than you want to be on a substance since it can sort of like reduce your brain's ability to produce dopamine on its own. But some drugs that increase dopamine are alcohol, opiates, nicotine, and cocaine. Um, So I'm not going to say I'm like recommending that you use these. Um, Obviously, alcohol, opiates, and cigarettes. For legal purposes. That's on you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also just like those are basically the most dangerous drugs we know about. Like um, alcohol, cigarettes, and opiates are responsible for the most drug-related deaths in the U.S. at least. Um, So, you know, I'm not saying like pick up a habit if you don't already have it. Um, I will go ahead and endorse cocaine use if that works for you and congrats on being able to afford it if so. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Also just wanted to add a quick plug for testing your cocaine with fentanyl strips. Um, It's super fast and easy to do. It'll tell you right away, depending on where you live. Like if you're in a city, it's generally fairly accessible to get them any like harm reduction organization pretty much is going to give them to you for free um 
And this is, again, we're not telling anyone to do or not to do drugs, but to be safe. Yeah. And, you know, if you are doing cocaine and you don't know where to get these, ask your friends that you're doing cocaine with. Um, Hopefully someone will know. (laughs) But that's definitely a great idea. Um, I guess I also just wanted to say, like, if you feel like you've been using any of these substances I just mentioned a lot, I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that they can feel really helpful for folks who are struggling with low dopamine. And that might be one reason why it's feeling like something you Mm want to use a lot right now. Um, So if you're trying to like quit smoking or reduce the amount you drink, it's worth just like remembering that there are these other non-drug things you can try to help keep your dopamine levels up so that you don't have to deal with that in addition to the existing difficulty of like developing healthy relationships with substances. Um, Yeah. So it's just like key, I think, be aware that that's something you should be kind to yourself about if you're in that process. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought all this up, Ozzy, because as soon as Laura suggested this episode and was like thinking of brain hacks, the first thing that popped into my brain was like drugs, (laughs) (laughs) which says more about me than anyone else. I mean, you know what? They're one of the main brain hacks. (laughs) True. It's a big brain hack. Yeah, I also... I also wanted to take a second to talk about like the other side of things, like what happens when your brain comes off of drugs, which Ozzy was sort of starting to get to. And I'm not bringing this up in like a Nancy Reagan, just say no, like scare you straight kind of way. Helen is a famous fan of the Reagans. (laughs) (laughs) Big Reagan stan over here. Um, But like, I do think that first of all, it's just interesting to be like, this is what's actually happening in the brain. And secondly, I think like knowing about this stuff can help people make choices about like what they want to do, how much they want to do and like when they want to do it. So like, as many people are probably aware from experience or otherwise, a lot of drugs have what can be called like a come down, which is the period after the high that sometimes doesn't feel so great. So just to take one drug, for example, um, MDMA, Molly increases the activity of dopamine, um, which we've been talking about, as well as norepinephrine and serotonin, um, which are other important brain chemicals. And after taking MDMA and after the high fades, you can feel some symptoms that might mimic depression or anxiety. And these feelings can be compounded by other issues that tend to present with MDMA usage, such as lack of sleep, dehydration, exhaustion, use of other drugs like alcohol that might, in addition, like leave you feeling not so great after. Um, and these effects might last for a few hours, but can even be present for a few days. It's also worth noting that the more that you use a drug like ecstasy, the longer the come down tends to be. And This is true for cocaine as well, which targets like the exact same neurotransmitters. Um, And these drugs, as well as others like opioids, which Ozzy mentioned, have the effect of basically flooding your brain with feel-good chemicals, like more than you could naturally produce doing any of these other things that we're talking about today. And then like once the effects start to fade, your body reacts and basically like overcompensates depending on the drug and the neurotransmitters and receptors that are affected. And also like the exact part of the brain that we're talking about, like that overcompensation can mean different things. Um, It can mean that the brain brain releases way fewer of these chemicals. It can mean that they get cleared out really quickly. So there's an overabundance that gets kind of like cleared out by the receptors, or it could also mean that you're producing a normal amount, but the receptors are desensitized to that normal amount of neurotransmitter chemical. Um, 
And again, it really depends on the substance, among other things. But basically, you either have way less of chemicals like dopamine or you can't process them like you should. Either way, you may feel bad after the high. And um, I really wanted to understand like the, the chemical processes behind this. I did take a couple of neuro classes in college, but I'm old. So that was a long time ago. But luckily, my partner is literally a former neuroscientist. So despite the fact that he has COVID, I just like walked into the bedroom where he's quarantining and was like, had my mask on and was like, hey, Matthew, can you explain this to me? And he got so excited. It was really cute. Um, so I'm really doing a good job of taking care of him by pestering him about brain chemicals is what I'm trying to say. So like the last thing I wanted to talk about is how you can feel better. Um, let's say that you, you know, did some Molly, you wake up the next morning, you're not feeling great. Like, first of all, maybe the next time before you, if you're like, okay, like tomorrow, I'm going to go out with my friends. We, we might do some MDMA rest up, like sleep longer than you normally would. Don't overexert yourself beforehand. Your body will thank you later. Um, Definitely be sure while you're using to drink lots of water or even better, something like Gatorade that has electrolytes um, and be drinking that one as you're trying to recover too. And finally, just know that like while you're feeling shitty, maybe you're feeling anxious, maybe you're feeling depressed, like the feeling will pass. It'll be over before too long. And, you know, hopefully it was worth it. Hell yeah. Thank you so much for that. Um, So we've talked about dopamine quite a bit. We're going to switch to the O in dose, which is oxytocin. Oxytocin, which is often called the love hormone, is essential for childbirth, breastfeeding, and strong parent-child bonding. This hormone also helps promote trust, empathy, and bonding in relationships and oxytocin levels generally increase with physical affection like kissing, cuddling, and sex. It's always going to come back to sex <laughs> and sunshine in all of these. <clears throat> sex, sunshine, and socialism, actually, the three. Anyway, it's... Oh my God, I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> we need new t-shirts. New t-shirts. Yes. <laughs> sex, sunshine, and socialism. Um. Anyway, all of this is the high behind MDMA. So oxytocin is released when you um, have that high that um, Kellen was describing. And um, yes, oxytocin is primarily associated with um, sexual touch or just tender touch or, you know, close relationships where you feel really seen. This hormone provides a myriad of benefits by stimulating dopamine and serotonin while reducing anxiety. Yes, I feel like oxytocin is the most sort of like social interpersonal chemical of these four. Um, So like you're starting to get at, Laura, high levels are linked to feelings of community, love, closeness with other people, while low levels are often correlated with feeling isolated, disconnected, lonely. Um, Oxytocin is also specifically linked to arousal and orgasm, so we'll definitely talk more about sex as a mood booster for this one. Um, And low oxytocin levels have been linked to depression, particularly postpartum depression, since, like Laura mentioned, this is a very important chemical in childbirth and, like, related processes in the body. Um, Another thing about oxytocin, low oxytocin has been linked with autism spectrum identities. Um, And again, this is kind of like the main thing that I'm going to keep saying on this episode. We have no idea what that relationship is. So 
For example, it could be that like neurotypical people are more likely to be assholes to autistic folks. And so there's less chance to build up oxytocin rather than that like naturally having low oxytocin causes autism. Um, I also think it's important to say this here, particularly because people sometimes use this fact to be like, oh, we should just give autistic people like oxytocin injections to quote unquote cure them. Um, And obviously that's bad because it sets up neurodivergence as a disorder that needs to be cured rather than an identity that is harder to live with under capitalism. Um, But I did want to bring this up because if you're autistic, you might be at higher risk of low oxytocin levels, which could cause unwanted side effects like feeling depressed, lonely, having a low sex drive if you were previously interested in sex. Um, So let's get into some tips for natural ways to boost your oxytocin levels. Yes. So the first one that came to my mind, which is basically my favorite one, is petting animals. One time when I was on like a high dose of mushrooms, I like felt it being released in my body when I was petting my roommate's dog. I was like, oh my God. I love that. I love this so much. I recently was thinking about how just in general, my like happiest, calmest moments lately in a very chaotic semester I've been having is when I'm just like in my bed watching something, which is one of my happy activities. And then like my pets are on either side of me cuddling. And I'm just like, this is blissful. And now I know why it's scientific. That's true. My partner and I, the aforementioned um, brain person, uh, recently started living together and he's been like so enthusiastic about the fact that I have pets because there's always cats around that he can just like sit when he's feeling stressed out and just like give them pets and scratches. And he was like, this makes me feel happy. I feel like a little kid. And it's like, bitch, that's science. That's science. Isn't he allergic? Yes. Not it's like a mile. It's, oh, okay. it's, like a, it's a mild allergy, so it's not too bad. And, like, we keep the cats in the living room. Um, and so they don't get in the bedroom and, like, don't get on the bed and stuff. So there's, like, a place in the apartment where... Oh, okay. Yeah. And so they're just in the living room. And, like, I sweep all the time, like, every day. And um, he, like, washes his hands after he pets them. But because it's I not, like... Just- yeah, yeah it's not super real. serious yeah, yeah yeah I was just like can he breathe while this is happening he can breathe he can breathe <laughs> I mean again he has COVID right now so like well maybe not, maybe not. Okay. but unrelated to the cat situation right um the next one which is also one of my top faves um this one was critical to me when I was going through extreme amounts of grief and lost a bunch of family members like when I, when friends would be like is there something I can do to support you I would be like give me a long hug and this is what I mean by a long hug. You have to hug for like 20 to 30 seconds. The internet said 20, but I have done it for up to 45 seconds. <laughs> and I will say that you will truly feel the difference when you hit that limit because your body just like fully relaxes. Laura's like a notoriously good hugger, I think. <laughs> Love to hug. Laura's a great <laughs> hugger, a great cuddler. <laughs> yes, cuddler too. Cuddles are next. Um, cuddles are like basically long. Oh, I didn't realize that was horizontal. (laughs) Yes. And they are so good and they release oxytocin and it's the best. Yes. I also just wanted to say if you don't have anyone to cuddle with right now, especially because 
you know, pandemic, whatever, it might be harder at this moment. Um, pretty much any forms of human touch can also be helpful. So even if it's like paying for a massage or something like a haircut where they like shampoo your hair and kind of massage your head, um, anything where there's like attentive, intentional touch can be helpful. Oh, I fucking love the head massage. Um, Same, but, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's because yeah. it releases oxytocin. Now we know. Now I know why. I'm just like laying there with my eyes closed, just being like, this is fine service. Um, even though I go to like the cheapest hair salon. Anyway, but I, I go, so I go to massage therapist, like prescribed by my doctor um, for pain, but I like chat with her. I, I've been going to her for a while and I thought it was super interesting because she was telling me that she'll have a lot of people who um, come in specifically after a breakup because they just like want the human touch and find it really soothing, like in that headspace. And I just thought that was like very interesting and like a good idea. So if you are going through a breakup, you're feeling touch starved, maybe pay for a massage. If you're able to, I will say I've gotten some great Groupons for massages for like very inexpensive. So that's my massage hack. I love that. Um, so yeah, some other things, once again, sex is, is going to be, um, a good, a good way to raise your oxytocin levels. Um, obviously in this case, sex with someone that you feel connected to would be the most helpful. Um, that doesn't have to mean someone you're in a relationship with, but like, uh, no talking one night stand might not be like the best option for this. Um, Also, oxytocin is specifically linked to nipple stimulation, probably because it's related to like pregnancy and breastfeeding. Um, But that it's true in people who can give birth and people who can't. Um, So that might be sort of like your go to oxytocin boost if you're um, using sex as a way to do that. Um, Um, I I have a question. Oh, Oh, did you have more? Please. No, no. Go ahead. Um, I have a question asking for a friend. Do you think this is for all the co-hosts? What? <laughs> Go ahead. Do you think do you think that there's a connection between because there's people that are very prone to enjoying nipple simulation and people that are like much less so? What do you think is the connection between oxytocin levels, if any? And I'm asking for a friend who is me. <laughs> I was I mean, just curious about about like nipple piercings and if they affect That's what it. I thought you were gonna ask. I thought you were gonna ask that too. <laughs> Well, I've had them for five years. I know the answer to that. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, putting my scientist hat on, I guess I would say that that could mean you have low oxytocin and so it doesn't feel as good. But maybe it also means you have high oxytocin and so you don't need that. Like it doesn't feel as good. Oh, no, because I'm you already opposite. have like a naturally high level, right? But well, it feels good. I feel like it could go yeah, it feels either good. way, depending on like, yeah. Unclear. But I did think yeah, that was question. interesting. So maybe not into it. Like this could be a reason to try it and like see if you feel differently. Um, now I don't know. Um, anyway, anyway, that's I just wanted separate to take a second to talk sex. about nipples. <laughs> No, that was very important. We love it. We love it. I think like beyond physical touch, um, also literally just like a casual chat with a friend can be helpful. Um, Because I think like I was saying, it's just a time where it is a little bit harder to meet people in person in a lot of cases. So 
talking on the phone or over Zoom can also be a good option. Um, basically just like spending social time with other people in pretty much any capacity is going to be one of the best ways to boost oxytocin. Um, and finally, as Laura mentioned, um, there are also some drugs that can increase oxytocin, most notably MDMA, aka ecstasy or molly. Um, so like Kellen was talking about earlier, that's more of like a temporary burst you can give yourself and then the come down will, you'll have less oxytocin. Um, and it can also like with a lot of use potentially damage your body's ability to rely on its own oxytocin if you use it a ton. So just be aware of that as a potential side effect, I guess. Yeah. And I probably should have said this earlier, but I just wanted to make a note as we're going through this, that there are a couple of different types of chemicals that we're talking about here. So serotonin and dopamine are neurotransmitters, whereas oxytocin and endorphins, which we'll get to in a bit, are hormones. So they're all chemicals, but they do different things in your brain and are affected differently by drugs. And like MDMA increases both serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin and, but it does different things with those chemicals. Um, and, uh, yeah, just wanted to make that note. And I think uh, with that, we'll probably get into serotonin now. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, neuroscientist, uh, (laughs) like disclaimer there. That's helpful. Um, yeah. So serotonin is, probably the main chemical that gets talked about as being related to mood. Um, If you have depression or anxiety or any other mood disorders, um, you've probably heard about serotonin. So low levels have been linked with depression and anxiety, as well as a wide variety of other mental health issues. Uh, Once again, I must say that we do not know that low serotonin causes depression or other mood disorders. It could be that depression is caused by something entirely different and then Being depressed means you're not doing any of the things that help your body produce its own serotonin, or maybe there's like a third thing that causes depression and also happens to cause low serotonin. The point is just that we really have no idea what causes depression and anxiety, but we do know there's no such thing as a cure-all. There's definitely no one chemical that regulates everything important about our emotions. And I think serotonin is sometimes like overstated um, in like popular mental health literature because it's sort of the one that everyone knows about. Um, But that said, serotonin does seem to be important to the body's ability to keep itself in a happy medium. So that has to do with mood, but also like energy levels, sex drive, digestive system function, appetite, um, and even wound healing, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, and too much serotonin, of course, can also be a problem, like with most things, uh, which I think Zoe is going to tell us a little bit more about. Yeah, um, this is less so a scientific explanation and more so an experience that I had with serotonin toxicity when I was 21 or 22-ish. Ah. So I, um, and so what happened for me, there's a lot of different ways it can come about, which we'll kind of get into more as well. But for me, I was taking, um, it wasn't SSRI, but it was a medication that increases serotonin, like that kind of similar thing. And, um, I kept going to the psych, the psychiatrist and being like, I don't know, I'm still anxious, bitch. Like, what do you want me to say? And she just kept like giving me a higher dose. And I was like, okay. 
And then I was like, no, I'm still depressed. Like I've been depressed since I was 14 years old. (laughs) Um, And I I don't think at the time, like I just didn't really realize. I don't know. I think I should have been less honest with the psychiatrist. Like now I don't necessarily tell my psychiatrist every little thing because I don't want her to recommend higher doses. But I was young. Like I just didn't know. Um, But so, yeah, I kept getting put on higher doses and there were like signs and I know Kellen's going to talk about kind of what the signs are. And so I knew something was off, but like, I didn't know that it was a thing. So I was just kind of like, Oh, I keep feeling weird, but like, there's a lot of side effects with SSRIs. Like mm-hmm. it's probably just something like passing. Um, and then what actually triggered it is that I smoked weed. And an interesting thing about weed is that in low doses, weed raises your serotonin, but actually in high doses, it decreases your serotonin. Interesting. Um, but so I like went to a friend's place. I smoked weed. I went back home. Luckily I was staying with my parents at this point. So I get back home and I just started having like a lot of panic attack symptoms, but like way worse. Like I felt like I was like crawling out of my skin. Like I was like vibrating and like my chest was like so tight, just like a very, very, very heightened panic attack. And so I went to my mom's room and I was like, mom, I like, I am not okay. And she was like, what's up? And she like came upstairs and I was just like sitting against the wall, just like shaking. And luckily, bless my mother. She's a psychologist. Um, She like figured out what was going on. And um, in that moment had me taken Ativan because that Ativan lowers your, um, is a benzo and that lowers serotonin. So took an Ativan was like kind of better enough that I went to sleep. And then I had to go to the doctor the next day and they just prescribed me like a shit ton of Ativan because that's like one of the only things that can actually help in the moment. So I was having this for, I ended up staying at my parents' house for several months because I basically was just like bedridden with an ongoing panic attack, taking Ativan. Um, and it was bad. Wouldn't recommend what I do want to plug here is that what actually eventually helped me get out of it was that I started going to acupuncture and this was like the only thing that had actually helped. Like I'd been like drinking tons of water, trying to like flush it out of my system and going on walks and all of these other things that the doctor said, but acupuncture is what started to actually make my symptoms go down. And I've been going to acupuncture regularly, like since then, pretty much, um, it's been super helpful and it's helpful for a lot of mental health things. So love that. Um, also just wanted to mention, cause that's how it came about for me. It can come about from a lot of different things that raise serotonin. It can happen from just SSRIs. It can happen if you have SSRIs with anything else. I know someone who had it from, um, taking Molly on or MDMA on an SSRI. And so I'm certainly not saying to never mix substances because that would be hypocritical, but it is important. Like there's information on the internet, not necessarily officially, but have you heard of Reddit? Um, no, but there are, there are forum boards about these things and you can like look into doses and like what dose would be safe with what dose of other things you're on. And so so I'm be mindful of because like, I didn't even know that it was a possibility until it happened. And in hindsight, I'm like, oh yeah. Well, it now, like now that I've experienced it, I would have known probably months sooner that it was like starting to happen and would have taken care of it. But since there's so many side effects with medication, it's also easy to be like, this is probably just a side effect that I'm not loving. Yeah. Yeah. So s- serotonin syndrome 
um, can manifest in a bunch of different ways. It has, there's varieties of like intensity that you can experience it. And if you're worried about it, things to be on the lookout for include fever, a high pulse rate, eye dilation, tremors, excessive sweating, diarrhea, just like general feelings of anxiety, and in extreme cases, seizures. And this is, serotonin syndrome is not just an issue that arises, as Zoe said, with MDMA or um, just like serotonin by itself or with weed, there's a bunch of other drugs too. So like if you're taking cocaine, if you're taking opioids, if you're taking amphetamines, like lots of stuff has interactions with SSRIs. And I want to second what Zoe said, definitely not saying don't do any of those things, but like, just be aware of like what you're getting into basically. Yeah. So some non-drug related ways to raise serotonin um, include eating foods high in tryptophan, which you might know as the chemical that makes you sleepy after eating a lot of food. Um, And this is also a chemical that the body uses to make serotonin. So the key with this is eating foods high in tryptophan along with carbohydrates So things like nuts, salmon, or turkey, along with like rice or bread or another carb can help your brain absorb more tryptophan and make more serotonin. Um, And once again, sunlight is also very important because serotonin is linked to circadian rhythms and not getting enough sunlight confuses our internal clock and like our body's internal sense of balance. Um, So here again, there are also drugs that affect serotonin levels, like we started to get into a little bit with SSRIs, um, which stands for Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitors. So serotonin is in the name. Um, And those are typically prescribed as antidepressants. They basically prevent the brain from throwing out unused serotonin. Um, So at this point, you might be thinking, wait, didn't I say earlier that we don't know that increasing serotonin levels would help with depression? And that is still true. We actually don't know for sure that serotonin is the reason why SSRIs work. Um, That isn't the only thing they do. It's just one of the things they do. Um, And maybe the biggest example of this is that SSRIs don't work for many people who are depressed and have low serotonin levels, which we wouldn't necessarily expect if that is the reason that they work. Um, We know that SSRIs increase serotonin in the brain and that they help treat depression, but we don't know that that's a direct one-to-one relationship. Um, I read something from a psychiatric researcher at Penn State who compared it this way, quote, there's really no evidence that depression is a serotonin deficiency syndrome. It's like saying that a headache is an aspirin deficiency syndrome. That's an interesting quote. I was thinking about that, but I also just wanted to add that I am on SSRIs again, because I don't want to scare people away from it. (laughs) Um, I wasn't for a while after that. I didn't want to be on any medication. I did that for several years. And then this past year I started again and I just started very slowly. And I also still use other substances, but just, I'm much more like and they've definitely been helping me. So I just didn't want that to scare anyone. If you're considering it, it's honestly pretty rare that serotonin toxicity happens. I just, it just happened to happen to me. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Cause like, yeah, serotonin syndrome is quite rare. Um, and it's like any drug, like they're I'm good special and bad. 
impact exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I re- like was very scared to start again but I have been and I've been glad that I did Yes, I definitely don't want to say that people shouldn't take SSRIs. I do want to talk a little bit more about just like some of the research behind them, just because I think that basically because pharmaceutical companies have had an interest in a long time in marketing SSRIs, they're one of the few drugs that is available legally that impacts brain chemistry, um, which means that there's somewhat of like an over-reliance on it in some cases. Um, So I guess... I just to talk a little bit more about how SSRIs work, there's a pretty widely accepted view right now that serotonin has something to do with depression, but we just don't know that much beyond that. Um, And like I was saying, because of the way that the pharmaceutical industry works, there was just a long time where all of the research in this area was dominated by big pharma. And it's only really more recently that there's been able to be a more nuanced understanding of like, what is actually the good and the bad of SSRIs? Um, And also just like, literally, how do they work? Because that's something that hasn't really been able to be studied fully until pretty recently. Um, Can I just jump in here real quick, Ozzy, and just make a quick point? So I taught a class, or was a TA for a class called Social History of American Public Health and depression and anxiety as like clinical disorders were essentially invented as a result of the creation of antidepressants. So the companies that were, I don't remember if it was SSRI specifically, I don't think it was, um, it was some of the early depressed antidepressant medications. They were trying to solve other issues, found that they had a an, sort of an impact on people's moods and essentially they created a a category, not to say that depression and anxiety aren't real, but those categories as sort of constructions were created as a result of drugs that were found to have an impact on people. So they, if this makes sense, created a category of people who were affected by the drugs. And that's why we have these categories of anxiety and depression to begin with, like as in the DSM and so forth. So the, it's actually shocking the degree to which pharmaceutical companies have been involved in the way that we understand mood disorders in general. That's really interesting. And yeah, I feel like that gets back to the idea of like a headache as an aspirin deficiency syndrome. It's sort exactly. of like, it's been defined for a long time as like, this helps this. So this must be the, the problem must be allowed this when mm-hmm. don't necessarily know that's true. There was a study last year that found that they might not work because of their impact on serotonin, but because of their impact on another compound in the brain that's called BDNF. Um, and there's also a relatively new theory that increased serotonin in the brain helps you form new emotional connections and basically respond less negatively to emotional information, um, which I can totally see, like, it makes sense that that would be helpful in treating depression. But then it would be more because SSRIs change the way that your brain processes, like, temporary moods and individual instances of, like, something emotional happening. And then maybe you feel slightly better more often, and that, like, helps pull you out of a major depressive episode. Um but I, I guess I just also want to talk about, like Zoe said, I'm not like warning people away from SSRIs, but like all of the other drugs that we've talked about today, 
SSRIs can make it harder for you to live without them um, because it makes it harder for your brain to rely on its own serotonin production mechanism. Um, And they can have some side effects that get worse when starting or stopping them. So that's something to think about before you get on them. Um, My advice would just be that it's really like morally speaking, no better or worse to treat your depression with SSRIs or with illegal drugs or with no drugs at all. Um, So I guess just if you feel a lot more comfortable with SSRIs specifically because they're legal or because they can be prescribed by a doctor, um, I would just urge you to remember that they do still have real health concerns to think about. Um, But that said, SSRIs have been one of the most helpful tools I've had to treat my anxiety. So I also think that they can be great. And I definitely recommend them for a lot of people. Um, They just have upsides and downsides like any other drug. Yeah. Like as a fellow SSRI user, definite cosign. They've been really helpful for me in managing anxiety and OCD, especially paired with therapy. Um, But there are a lot of difficulties that can come with them, including side effects. Um, I tried one SSRI that made me so tired that I like literally couldn't stay awake through the day. I like went on a vacation with my mom and had to like not go do one of the things we were going to do because I was like, no, I literally just have to go back to the hotel room and sleep. I I couldn't function. Um, And even the ones that I'm on now, which is like a pretty good combination for me, like have a some unpleasant side effects if I take them, if I forget to take them more than a couple of days in a row. Like if I go on a three-day trip and forget to pack them, like I'm not going to feel good. Um, I learned from former Season of the Bitch host Lindsay that what I experience is called brain zaps, which basically feels like a mild jolt of electricity, like zapping through your whole body, like over and over again throughout the day which like makes you feel kind of like weak and nauseous. Yeah. I just wanted to, I've also had brain zaps before when I was taking Wellbutrin, if I forgot to take it at all, um, horrible time, but also one of my friends just started Wellbutrin and she was just kind of asking me cause she knew I had been on it before. And I just mentioned that to her, just like something to be aware of. And she was like, what is a brain zap? And I was like, Oh, it feels exactly like it sounds that it yes. would feel like you'll, <laughs> you'll know, so, you'll know, <laughs> yeah. you'll know when your brain zaps that your brain has zapped. <laughs> yes. It's so funny. It's like, you know how onomatopoeia is a word that is the sound like woof or moo. I feel like brain zap is like a feeling onomatopoeia. Like yeah. it just is what it is. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you will absolutely know if and when it happens. Yeah. <laughs> and there, there are also, of course, like the infamous sexual side effects that some people feel with drugs. Like I know somebody who's on Lexapro that was like, this is terrible for my sex life. I cannot do this. It can dampen your arousal. It can make it harder for you to reach orgasm. And so that just makes it a no-go for some people. And as we've um, talked about, that's not good for your mental health either. There you go. Real uh, merry-go-round of problems there, just one after the other. Um, but if an SSRI, like one specific one doesn't work for you, it's totally possible another one will. Like, like I said, like I had one that I absolutely couldn't do. And then now I've got, I'm on a couple that work really well for me in concert with each other. So like, it's, I think can be worth it to try different ones out and see how they work, but like, maybe they're not for you all together. And that's totally okay too. I'm also just assuming that most people who listen to us could potentially benefit from SSRIs. I don't know. We've seen what you listen to on Spotify. Yeah. Right. 
So, yeah, I wanted to talk about um, mushrooms and LSD here. Um, it's kind of a different way to treat depression. So I've definitely gotten into this in more detail on the psychedelics episodes I released on Patreon, but psychedelics work to fight depression on a number of levels. And here I'm specifically talking about these two psychedelics because some people count like MDMA, ecstasy, molly, or ketamine in this category, but I'm talking about these two specific things, psilocybin and LSD. Um, They do increase your serotonin levels, but it does not raise it as high as MDMA does. So there's less risks associated with um, serotonin toxicity. And there's also really not the depression hangover the next day. The way that SSRIs do interact with LSD and mushrooms is it will dampen the effects of it. So like often you will have to take more of the substance than the people around you. The same thing happens with um, MDMA as well, but it can like basically cancel out MDMA, which is why you're so much more at risk of serotonin toxicity because you'd have to take like significantly more to feel it in the same way. So um, I microdosed for about a year, um, and at that level, it really just works to increase blood flow in your brain, increases neuroplasticity, which is like your ability to retain information and learn new information, and the speed at which things can transmit and grow among your neural pathways increases. And all of these things can really help with mood, Um, and also at high doses, these psychedelics can really help you heal from trauma because it can take the neural pathway that was created during a traumatic event, which often creates a pattern such as hypervigilance, and it encourages to release and create a new, healthier pathway. Psychedelics, particularly at higher doses, are not meant for everyone. If you have a lot of issues around control, um, psychedelics are incredible at helping you release control. However, that experience can be really harsh for people who aren't quite ready or able to release that control, and it can cause things like a bad trip. Um, I don't want to get into too much on how to have a good trip because I go into that at length in the first psychedelics episode. So check it out if you want to know good tips and tricks about dosing and how to prepare it so that you don't have stomach pains and generally how to have a good trip. Yeah, I'm just going to add to that. I'm not going to go too into depth either because for a couple of reasons, one, I'm in finals right now. The academic portion of my brain has shut off. Um, but I wanted to plug the episode we did last year ish, um, on psychedelic feminism, which I talked a lot about my own research around this and psychedelic assisted therapy specifically and the mental health benefits of that. And yeah, which is something I'm hoping to get trained in when I finish my MSW fucking eventually. But we shared a lot of information on that episode about the FQC and talked about um, some of Laura's experiences and the, the group that, that they were in about that too. And also my other plug is that my paper on it is going to be published sometime probably in the next year, but stay tuned for my first academic journal article on using a feminist lens to administer psychedelic assisted therapy. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, (laughs) I just want to say that we love this for you, our master of gender. Yay. Thank you. That hearing those words gives me a dopamine rush. Yes. (laughs) 
So our final uh, chemical that we're going to be talking about is endorphins. Endorphins are opioid neuropeptides, which means they are produced by the central nervous system to help us deal with physical pain. They also make us feel lightheaded and even giddy at times. The main way that a lot of people talk about this, that's not too painful of a way to induce endorphins, is exercise. And in one study, as little as 30 minutes of walking on a treadmill for 10 days in a row was sufficient to produce a significant reduction in depression among clinically depressed subjects. Yeah, so no surprise, um, movement is a major way of getting endorphins. People have probably heard of like the runner's high, which is essentially having um, a lot of endorphins being released from running. For me, it typically takes the form of swimming. That's like my movement of choice. Certainly not here to advocate like working out or whatever the fuck when people are depressed. And it's like, have you tried working out? Like get away from me. But um, whatever movement feels good for you, which can also be sex, as we've mentioned, can be dancing in your apartment, can be literally anything. It'll give you some endorphins. Or maybe. (laughs) Yeah, just as like a little fun fact, some people actually don't get endorphins from working out. I learned this in college. for whatever reason, their bodies just don't produce them. There's not a lot of research on this, but it apparently does happen. And I am certain that I am one of those people. So I like have never felt a runner's high or anything similar from like literally any form of activity. Um, sometimes I'm like, oh, well, like I feel kind of tired in a, in a good way, but like just nothing close to what any people, what anybody has like ever described to me feeling like after they've worked out. Um, it kind of is like somebody who's like never experienced an orgasm, like hearing what an orgasm is, I think where you're just like, okay, that sounds good. I don't really know how to conceptualize it. Mm. I'm not sure what it's like. I don't think I've ever experienced it. Maybe I have. And it's like, no, you would know if you had, that is what, a runner's high is like for me. So listeners, if you've never experienced it, you know, maybe you need to run more, but I say, fuck that. Um, maybe you're just like me and you just literally don't get endorphins. I'm with you. I feel you. I see you. I hear you. And, um, you know, we can sit on the couch and watch Netflix together. Yes. Icons. Yeah, I I do a walk outside when I can to, you know, get that double, that double dip both like the moving my body plus the sunshine. Um, I like am also someone who can't do typical exercise because of my rheumatoid arthritis. So I really need to do low impact things. Um, But they can still trigger this happy chemical, which is pretty cool. Yeah, this is part of why I love having a dog now because it makes me go on walks even more frequently and maybe at times that I wouldn't usually. Also, okay, I wanted to end on, I had the strangest experience last night just being fucking giddy, and I wanted to tell you all about it. I love that. (laughs) So I was stone cold sober. I, like, which is to say, I just, like, don't know what was happening because- I'm not some, I very rarely laugh out loud when I'm by myself. Like if I'm watching things like, I'll be like, oh, that's funny. I'm just not like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> um, I'm like the person who's texting back like LMAO, but I'm just like straight face to the point that like people know this about me. And I will, I will like tell my friends, like I am actually laughing out loud so yeah. that they know it was a really good one. But anyway, last night I was about to go to bed. I was scrolling TikTok and I found this video 
that I could not stop laughing. And it's like this person who, this queer person who does reviews of like these really gross food videos and just like (laughs) roast them while they're cooking. And I just started like, I stayed up for two extra hours, just like scrolling through these videos and like cracking up. And I kept being like, I should go to bed. But then I was like, no, like something special is happening in my brain because this is not how I usually spend my evenings. And I literally stayed up till one in the morning, just like dying, laughing at this person's TikTok. Amazing. So So sometimes happiness comes from bizarre places and you should embrace it. Exactly. Embrace it. I think there's actually, I know we're running out of time, but there is one other thing that I wanted to add that I think would give us all a dopamine boost, which is if you signed up for our Patreon, we are at patreon.com, patreon.com slash season of the bitch. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at season of the B. You can email us, I guess, at season of the B at gmail.com. Rate, review, subscribe wherever you are listening to us right now, unless you're saying mean things, which will decrease our serotonin levels. And you really, you really wouldn't want to be responsible for that, right? Like the only reason that I want my serotonin levels going down is if I've done some kind of drug the night previous. Okay. So like, just be nice. Really? That can give you, we'll all get dopamine out of it as we've established. Um, so yeah, I think that about covers it. Love y'all. Love you. Love you. Bye. 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 Bitch.